So I, I want to talk about treasures, treasure in jars of clay. And that's really the kind of ties all this passage together. Like what, what's the treasure? Um, that would be the gospel and the jars of clay. That would be us. That would be a, a reference or a metaphor to describe who we are. So <clears throat> to begin with, grandkids have often found pictures of their grandparents. Some of you have had this happen. Parents, grand, uh, kids find pictures of their grandparents in the prime of life. And they said, Grandma, you used to be really pretty. <laughs> or Granddad, you look like you were really strong. And they are surprised to see that their aging grandparents were once like in the prime of life. So this is proof uh, that we, we go up a little bit, and we have our moment, and then we decline. Uh, sorry, folks. That's just the way this works. Um, we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. So I have eight things I want to point out. And one is that our earthly bodies are like jars of clay. Paul describes us as clay pots. And he's, um, and a clay pot <clears throat> was just a common water pot. Um, when people do archaeological digs, one of the things they find more than anything else is pieces of pottery. Um, that helps them date when a certain a time period is Things were made in different ways in different time periods, but they find tons of little uh, shards, little pieces of clay pots. And they're usually not very expensive, and they're kind of common, and that's what we're being compared to. Um, <clears throat> there's nothing super um, extraordinary about us. Um, there's creatures made by God that run faster um, there's creatures that can swim faster, stay underwater forever, fly in the air, um, lift more. Uh, there's some amazing creatures. Um, we're really not all that fantastic. I mean, we are to each other, uh, but we get old and we wear out and stuff like that. James... In James 4, 13 to 15, it says we're like a mist. We're here and we're, we're gone. Uh, Luke 12, 20 to 21 says that we are fools if we build up our barns in this life and make no provision for the afterlife. It's like we spend our whole life build, 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 build so we can have more, more, more. And the Bible says, how foolish you didn't make any preparation for after you die. And Proverbs 21, 7 says that it's basically say, saying that it's a joke how much we boast about tomorrow when we can't even control today. Um, our little moment of might is nothing in the grand scheme of things. And the question becomes, is there something higher? Is there a higher power? Is there a higher purpose? Or are we just going to come and go like a little puff of smoke? So if you're worried about this life and how it will play out and how it will end then I think you should be extremely interested in the, the gospel. The gospel has great news. I think all of us would look around and say, man, I, I've spent my life doing this or I'm chasing this and can it really fulfill what I'm pursuing? Can the thing I'm pursuing, can education, can money, can girlfriend, boyfriend, um, family, 
work, vocation, having a huge savings account, will that ultimately, will it not ultimately fade and will I not, I ultimately fade and um, just a downward decline after a certain point. So the Bible is responding to that kind of gloom and doom. Um, this world doesn't really have an offer for what we are longing for in the, in the long run. And that's why it's saying um, we're like, our bodies are kind of like jars of clay. And then it talks about something that's very different than that, something eternal. The second thing is that the gospel is the most valuable treasure God offers in this world. The gospel itself, the message of Jesus Christ dying on a cross, coming for our sins, um, suffering, immense suffering, is like the one treasure that you discover that's worth more than anything else you could ever have. Like, <clears throat> I'm sure that many of you are in that rat race right now trying to find meaning, life, joy, pleasure. And the, the Bible is saying, don't look there. Don't look where you're looking. Don't look for the world to give you that. You'll be bitterly disappointed in the end. And Jesus came saying, look unto me and be saved. Jesus says, look to me. The whole Bible was saying, look to Jesus. The whole Bible was saying, look to the coming Messiah. Look to the one who's coming. Fix your eyes, your attention on Him. And then now that we're living in this age, it's saying, look back to the cross where Jesus died and defeated death and rose from the dead. So the cross, which is a, a short way of saying the gospel. Sometimes we, we say the gospel and we talk, we use code, Christian code or Christian language. And we talk about the cross. We talk about the life, death, resurrection of Jesus. We may refer to John 3.16. These are all short forms of what we're trying to communicate. And that is the good news from God. And the good news from God is that even though our lives are going to fade, we have our little incline, then decline. But from this, however long that is, sometimes people don't even live to that point. And the Bible is saying you have this short little window of time to figure this out. You understand how important this is. That You're in a church this morning trying to figure out how important this is. I hope you're here and you're like going, some of you may be here for your weekly pump up. It's like, let me go to church and get pumped up. That's my motivational moment. And we're trying to, I'm glad you're here looking for that. But I want to tell you, there's something far bigger happening. Something far more important. We're not just trying to motivate you to get through another week. We're not just trying to give you your emotional high so you can come and like, oh man, worship was good this week. It'll carry me through this week. Or, um, man, I met some cool people at church and, and now um, I've found a good group of people to hang out with so my life will be better. Those are all sidebars. Those are all not the core issue. The core issue is you come to church and we're trying to tell you that you have this short little moment, this blip on the radar, this puff 
to figure out what you're here for. And what you're here for is to meet Jesus Christ to prepare you for the coming day of God and to prepare you and even teach you how to live this little life, this little window, this little window. How do you maximize this opportunity? This is the one moment, the one little opportunity you have to decide whether you're going to make, whether you're going to choose Christ or not. And therefore, we are here in our little fragile world, in our little fragile bodies to find out what we will treasure. And Paul was describing his life as my, my life is nothing but a, a clay pot. I'm just a, I'm just a body, body, spirit, soul. I'm a human being and I have discovered something that is now the mark of my existence and that is I have found a treasure. There's a treasure in this broken, fragile, declining body and it's the most important thing about me and that treasure is the gospel. It is the good news. I have this treasure in a, in a jar of clay. The treasure. What is the treasure? Is nothing other than the gospel. The good news of John 3.16 is one summary of the gospel. The greatest message ever communicated to this dying world is that God so loved you, my friend. God so loved you. This is the message you're here this morning to hear. It's the message we try to tell every single Sunday that if you are here, God brought you here so that someone would stand up and communicate to you through music and through the Word of God and hopefully even in your interaction with one another that God loved you in your sin and in your dilemmas and in your affliction and in your pursuit of this world he came into this world in order to die on the cross for you. God sent His Son to do unspeakable, horrible things to save you. To surrender to horrible atrocities, to the injustice of the cross from man's side, but the justice of the cross on God's side was man's side. It was, an, it was unjust because men thought they were punishing a criminal. And it was, he had never violated. He was unjustly nailed to that cross. But in God's side, it was completely just because God was laying on His Son the weight of sin. So in the eyes of man, it was a very unjust ruling. But in the eyes of God, it was a completely just action because God was going to pour out His wrath on one who was guiltless but declared guilt as He took our sins upon Him and therefore God was going to do, carry out justice on the cross for Jesus. And that's the act. That's the good news. That's what we're so excited is that God would do that, that Jesus would do that for us. That's the treasure. That's the treasure in our hearts. It's like I was treasured so much that God would do this for me. Do you know, Lord, who I am? Do you know what I've done? Do you know how undeserving I am of this? Do you know what a a miserable piece of sin and self-pity I am, you would do that for me? That's the most greatest news I've ever heard. That is the treasure in my heart. Nothing else matters. Everything else is fade away. No, I can't hold on to anything else. Everything else is going to die and fade. 
But this treasure, which I treasure in my heart, when I came to know Jesus, He became the treasure in my heart. The gospel became the good news that God would love me and do this for me. It's what now defines who I am. I am not defined by my former records and accomplishments, nor my failures, nor my weaknesses. I am not. What I do and am in this world is now defined by who Jesus is and what He did in this world for me. It's a beautiful transition has occurred, and that's what I'm trying to help you see if you've never seen this yet. You're going to either stand before God and try to claim some ridiculous worthless piece of life you lived for Him. I hate, I hate to put it that way, but that's just a reality. Here's what you're going to offer that and say, Lord God, you ought to forgive my sins on the basis of my accomplishments. And He's going to say, no, the only thing I will accept is what my Son did for you. I don't want anything else. I won't say, there's no other entry. There's no other way to enter here. And what we're saying is we have found it. We have discovered that's why we treasure the gospel. That's why we ought to sing with such joy in our hearts. Not miserable little, I'm afraid someone might hear me singing. We ought to sing. We ought to live our lives in such a way that we can say, look, if you follow me around, you're going to see a lot of mess because I'm not the best. I'm not the greatest thing that ever happened. But I, my, what makes what's special about me is there's a treasure in my heart. Can I, can I show you my treasure? Can I tell you? I, I don't care if you know how much you do or don't know about me. I appreciate that you like me. I appreciate that you think something I did was cool. But let me tell you about what's really cool about what my Jesus did. And he would apply that to you. He is offering. I want to offer to you. The good thing about the treasure in my heart is it's limitless. I can share it. Actually, the more I share it, the happier I am. And I don't lose any of it. I just enjoy it more the more I watch other people agree with me that, man, that's the greatest treasure I ever heard of. And that's how the gospel works. It is this treasure that gives hope and worth. It's what makes us sing and shout and glad. It's not the gospel. It is not the gospel the key to our worldview and would benefit anyone to whom we spread and ought we not to focus more on this treasure and less on worldly treasures which really aren't worth much of anything we can't hold on to them and as long as we try they still don't do us much good we try so hard to find we try so hard to put invest into this world and it comes up empty every time every time we we end up on our tanks on e we try so hard to run on the treasures of this world and we come back to empty just we just go on down the road a little ways and it's like, man, I'm on empty again. I need more, 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 more. The only thing that starts out with a full tank and never runs out is when we finally invest in Jesus Christ. The third thing I want to point out is this is the perfect way, this combination of our weakness and God's might and strength, the perfect combination of our not really having anything to worth, worthy of display and His having everything, this personal combination of this earthly vessel, this clay pot, and the treasure of the gospel working together is the perfectly divine, ordained way to display the power of God. Only God would have thought of it. Only God would have thought of using people like you and me to make His kingdom come forward. Only God would have thought of Everyone else would say, I ain't using them. They're not worth much. Give me some, Lord, you can send some, more, send some better lumber down here. 
You ever gone to look for lumber? And you look and you're looking in the lumber yard and you pull out a two by four and you're going, why are people holding that thing up looking at it? Because it's crooked. If you're going to build a house with a bunch of crooked lumber, you better look twice. And, the, the, and when the Lord's figuring out how to build his kingdom, I'm sure the angels are going like, Lord, are you sure you want to use them? Day one, they screwed up. Then you gave them another chance and they screwed up again. We had to flood the whole world. Then they screwed up again in places like Sodom and Gomorrah. And then they screwed up here. That the Lord, you sure you want to use all these screw ups? I said, yes, I do, because it's going to show my glory. Because I'm going to show you what I can do with a screw up. That's what God did when he wanted to save you. He said, let me show you what I can do. And then the Lord begins to work. And then we sit here and we go, woe is God. Wow. What? We're in awe. I'll tell you what, that's one of the things we, we do when we share testimonies. We're in awe because we're like going, wow, you were such a screw up. And we'll go, yeah, I, I am and I still really am, but I have made some progress. But, praise God, made some progress. And we're watching people progress and we're like going, isn't God mighty? And then we see someone who's still totally screwed up and we say, hey, you can stay screwed up if you want to, but can I tell you someone who knows what to do with a bunch of loose screws? He can build stuff. And so we invite people to come and we share the gospel with them. And say, so let me tell you what God can do. If you knew us, you might come here and think, wow, these people are all squeaky clean. As, no, we're not. We're still full of mess. But God's at work. And some of us are less messy than we used to be. And God is making progress. Praise God, some of us are doing things that we never thought we'd be able. Some of us have been able to stop doing some things that we never thought we would have the power to stop doing. But the gospel, the treasure in our hearts is beginning to work itself out into our, our being and our bodies. We're changing by the grace of God. And it's like, who would have thought of that but God? What a clever God we serve. That He would do that. That He would display His power through such weak vessels because the gospel is so powerful that He can use even the likes of you and me. Aren't you glad? A fourth point I want to point out is whatever difficulties come in this world, forsaking Jesus is not an option. Whatever we have to go through, it's like, no, no, I'm not letting go of Jesus. Well, Satan comes to you and says, you can have an easier life if you'll do this and you'll live this way. Satan came to Jesus and he even told Jesus, he says, hey, Jesus, I'll make the way across. You came down here to go to a bloody cross. I'll give you the world without a cross. And Jesus said, no way, Satan. There is no world without a cross. I won't listen to you. And some of us think, hey, there's got to be a better way to have a good life than serving God. And some people are wanting to trade out. And the devil comes along and says, hey, there's shortcuts. You don't have to go the whole nine yards with Jesus. Just how about a little Jesus? How about a little bit of Jesus in your life? And people come to church and they give me a little Jesus. But then the, I want to be in control. I want to run my life. I want a little Jesus to have a big life. And the Bible never offers that. The Bible says you take your big Jesus, you take big Jesus, and that's all you'll ever need, and He will walk you through life. It's not a trade, it's an invite. We're not trading one for the other. And so Jesus says, let me come live in your life, and then if you do, then whatever difficulties come in this world, I'll be with you. Whatever you're going through, people of faith have been there before. And God has proven that holding on to Him is far better than renouncing Him due to difficulty. He walked with people through the fire, through storms. He, give, he gives amazing strength to those who've been willing to hold tightly to Him in the storm. David faced lions. His friends endured fire. Moses chose God above the riches of Egypt. Abraham was ready to sacrifice his beloved son. And possibly, quite possibly, all twelve apostles and Paul the apostle were put to death because they loved Jesus. They weren't letting go. 
It's like Jesus is better. Jesus is better than this world. Jesus is better than prosperity. Jesus is better than comfort. Whatever I must go through, there's one non-negotiable in my life and I ain't letting go of Jesus. He is the treasure in my heart. So you can take and I might scream and cry. I might pout when you take things from me. But lo and behold, the end of the story is I'm not letting go of Jesus. Remember Job, he did a lot of pouting. He did. He went through some trials and he pouted. But one thing he didn't do is he didn't ultimately let go of God, his Savior. Even though he did some pouting, even though it's like, Lord, where are you? Even though he asked questions, even though he was wondering, like, Lord, this is miserable. I am so, I am so distraught. I'm going through so much pain and suffering. But even in the midst of what he was going through, the one thing he wouldn't do is the thing that Satan wanted him to do is curse God and die. He's like, no, nah, I ain't letting go of God. He didn't, he, if you read the book of Job, he didn't do so well at certain points. But one thing he did do, and that's the why he's a model of faith, is he went through extreme trials and he refused to let go of God. He said, one, the only thing I have left is my, my relationship with God. Even his wife said, Job, curse God. Curse the God. Curse the day you were born. He said, I ain't going to do it. Because even though I don't understand what God is doing, He is better than anything that I could have if I was to reject Him. And he said, no, I'm going to hold on. I'm going to hold on to God through this. And Job did. And God built his faith. And God gave a model through Job. I don't think Job go, you know, one day they're going to read about me at Webster Baptist Church. If I just hold on to God, I'm going to be famous. He no more knew anything. All he knew was he had to hold on to God right then and right there. And he became famous because God is illustrating the very point what we're talking about here is that he held on to, he held on to his faith and the salvation that could only come through God in the midst of unspeakable difficulty. And so those who pay the ultimate price, number five, those who pay the ultimate price for their faith powerfully display how much they treasure Jesus. And it often results in others treasuring Him too. You ever, uh, I mention this a lot, it's a perfect fit for here. Some of us get a magazine called Voice of the Martyrs. Some of us have ever read books about people who died for the faith. There's a book that was super popular for years and years and years. And it was called The Voice of the Martyrs. I'm sorry. The um, Fox's Book of Martyrs. Thank you. Fox's Book of Martyrs. And Fox's Book of Martyrs is a book about martyrs. It's just story after story after story of people who treasured this world in such a way. Oh, we got some cute little visitors. It's, some, it's the story of God showing and displaying that He was valued in the hearts of people who were facing the threat of death and they would not relinquish their faith in Jesus. And when we read the... I don't know, some of you read some of those stories. Did it move you? Did it stir you? Have any of you read stories right now of people living in the world right now? How many of you remember several years back when there was a group of martyrs whose heads were chopped off? You remember that? Islamic extremists showed on video, they went on video, and they showed believers, Christians, having their heads chopped off. And how did you feel? You probably felt the same kind of things I felt. Number one, oh God, would I be able to stand under that pressure? It's like, oh Lord, look at them love you. Look at them love you. Couldn't they just say, fingers crossed, I don't believe anymore. Why couldn't they just do that? Because they esteemed Jesus more valuable than life. Most of them were probably fathers. 
and they said, I'm going to have to trust that Jesus is going to take care of my family. But one thing I will not do is renounce my faith. And they laid their lives right there on the line knowing that their heads were getting ready to be lopped off because they would not budge because they knew Jesus was the only one that could carry them into the afterlife. And they held with their very last breath into their faith because Jesus has many times displayed that those who take great risk and make the ultimate price will powerfully display that treasure of the gospel and others will come to faith because other people will say things like this, how on earth could someone do that? What is it? What did those men treasure so deeply that they refused to simply say, they could, all they had to say was, Jesus is not my Savior. That's all they, how hard is that? But they refused because Jesus is their Savior and He is the treasure that they treasured. How wimpy are we, right? We're afraid to let the people at the coffee shop know we're praying. Seriously, we are so wimpy. We're afraid to let anyone know we're Christian at all. We're like over there. Someone used to tell me that their dad one time, it's a funny joke, but their dad was the preacher and they used to call rubbing your eyebrows. What's rubbing your eyebrows? All right, rub your eyebrows. That meant we're all going to pray. Dear Lord Jesus, thank you for this meal. They would rub their eyebrows because they didn't want anyone in the restaurant to know that they were being spiritual. How, How wimpy we are. What is our treasure? Where is our treasure? Okay. Then he said, um, I want to mention that this kind of faith is not new. It's always been here. Um, Since we have the same faith, verse 13, since we have the same spirit of faith according to what was written, I believed and so I spoke. We also believe and so we speak. So he's quoting David from a psalm when David spoke out of his belief and it was also a messianic psalm pointing to Christ but the story has been always been here if you read the book of Hebrews you'll see that that's the way people have lived who love God for every age from the beginning to the end the people who love God it says that they considered the the future their true treasure was in heaven and was the Lord and so they considered this world um, something that they couldn't hold on to anyway and they invested totally, completely in God. And so, let me read, um, <clears throat> let me describe, he, several times in here he talks about the death of Jesus, the life of Jesus, um, the death of Jesus being manifest in us so that the life of Jesus can be manifested through us to others. So well, what is he talking about here And he talks about um, the death of Jesus refers to Jesus' willingness to die on the cross, Jesus' literal death, Jesus, God, God died. We hold the craziest thing in our belief. We believe that God, the Creator, died for us. There is no other religion that comes close to that. No other religion. Every other religion is like, you might die. There is no other religion that I'm aware of. I've never heard any other religion that claims that the Creator of the universe died for sinners. I've heard other religions that say you need to work this, you need to do this, you need to do this, you need to do this many hours of penance, you need to do this, you need to prove your love for God, you need to um, die in holy war, you need to um, 
you know, say X number of Hail Marys. You need to do all these things. You need to do this, this, and this to get to heaven. The only, the only gospel, the only message I know of that says God died for you is the gospel of God, where it says God, the Son of God, Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins, that God took care of your problem. All you have to do is believe in God and believe that He did that for you. You have to surrender to that teaching and acknowledge that, claim that Lord as your Lord and Savior. And so when we do that, when we hold dear the death of God, the death of Jesus, and we embrace that as a fundamental principle of our life where I can say, my God died for me. My God died for me. That becomes a fundamental building block for my life. And so when I claim and hold to in my broken body that my God died for me, then out of that truth, out of the truth of the death of Jesus comes the life of Jesus. And Jesus died and rose from the dead. So the resurrection and the Easter story is married in our minds. It's not just that God died. He rose from the dead. So when we say God died, we're not saying He didn't rise. In our brain, that's all part of the one gospel message. And when we hold to that, when we hold to the teaching of the death of Jesus, we're also holding to the the teaching of the life of Jesus. Jesus rose from the dead in the power of God. And therefore, the death of Jesus is something I claim. The life of Jesus is something I claim. And the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is now at work in my life. So here I am, an advocate of claiming to the world that God came into the world and died for sinners. That is, in my body, I'm communicating this message and living out of that truth in the resurrection. And now I live according to the life of Jesus breathed in me by the Spirit of God. Now I live according to the power of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God is in every believer and I'm living out of that truth. And so now there is life coming out of me who once was nothing but death, but because I believe in the death and resurrection of Jesus, He promised to bring new life into me. I'm a new creation in Christ and I have the Holy Spirit of God in me. And out of Christ's resurrection and the Spirit coming to me and working in me, I now am a messenger of life. You see how that works? And so in my body... I can talk about my dying body. I can also declare Jesus' body was dead and buried. But I also can claim the resurrection of Jesus. And then out of His death came life. And out of my embracing the death of Jesus, I have discovered life and the resurrection. And now I can live out and I can offer that same message to other people. And that's what he's talking about when he goes back and forth a little bit in this passage. When he says that... <clears throat> um, he talks about um, the, always, we are always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may be manifested. And so we're living out of that grace. We're living out of that truth. We're living out of that power. And I would love to live out of it, out of it more, would you? I sure wish I had a lot more of that on me and in me. I wish I was a greater, a better display. I wish I didn't sin so much. And it was so easy for people to say, well, look at you, sinner. And I said, you got me. You're right. I am a sinner. And that makes me even doubly, triply, infinitely grateful that my God saves sinners because that's exactly who you're talking to. I am not this pristine example of everything a Christian ought to be. I'm actually still got a long ways to go and I feel like I'm just crawling sometimes and even sometimes getting pulled backwards. But by the grace of God, let me tell you, it's not about me and how well I'm living the Christian life. It's about Christ. 
and I'm living the Christian life out of His grace and pursuing Him. I'm not a model. I'm not a model. Not nearly what I ought to be. I'm not near as far along as I want to be. But by the grace of God, I'm in the game because I believe in Jesus Christ who died and rose from the dead. And therefore, when he describes this interplay and he speaks about believing and knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us with Jesus and bring us into his presence. So my hope is not on how well I can live the Christian life. It's the Christ who's living in me. My hope is that He who raised Him from the dead is going to raise me from the dead. And therefore, that may, that's the reason these people aren't afraid to die. Because they know and believe in all their hearts that Jesus is going to raise them from the dead. Kill me if you want. You're just sending me home earlier. You know, it's kind of like the kid in school who, who can't wait to get out of school. We just get out of school earlier. We just get to home and be with Jesus later. No matter what age and level we die, if we hold this treasure in our hearts, when we leave this world, we go immediately into the presence of our God and our Savior, and we finally go, this was worth everything I had to endure to get here. This was worth everything. Man, Lord, I would have come sooner if I would have known it was going to be this good. That's what it feels like to be when the Lord takes us and we're, we're trusting and we hold that treasure in our hearts. And then we go toward the end, and it says... Um, it talks, I like this, this is evangelistic in verse 15. It says, for your sake, it's all for your sake. Like, you, Lord, you did this for us. And then he says, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase in thanksgiving to the glory of God. So here's our evangelistic zeal, is that we ought to long for more grace to be given to more people. We have nothing to be stingy about. We ought to be the most benevolent, giving, liberal loving group and say, man, we want to give as much of the gospel as we can. We ought to, it's like, get over our pride and get over our discomfort. Get over if it might make someone upset. What we need to be thinking is, Lord God, I want to, I want to offer this wonderful message to more people. Please forgive me when I get all shy and embarrassed and please forgive me when I hold back. Please forgive me when I'm more concerned about my reputation than yours. I'm more interested in what people might think about me than that they know about you. And we just have to constantly pray and say, Lord God, forgive me that I let these barriers and these ideas get in my head and they keep me from living out the fullness because people need the grace of God and who's going to give it to them other than the messengers and these clay pots who have this treasure in their hearts. We're a bunch of clay pots running around with a great message. And we need to... We need to be giving that out to people because that's what God wants to do. He wants grace extended to more and more people. And then he concludes this chapter, same way he started it, back in chapter 4, verse 1, he says, We do not lose heart, therefore having this ministry, gospel ministry, by the mercy of God, we don't lose heart. That was verse 1. And now we're coming toward the final thrust in verse 16. So we do not lose heart. He gave all the reasons why. And then he says, our outer self is wasting away. Okay, folks, I got news for you. Your outer self is wasting away. The minute you're born, you're dying. You start your dying process. You just don't know how long. You could be dying for 60 years, 80 years, 90 years. And our, though, but here's the good news. Our, if our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. It's like, okay, I'm tired of putting all my focus on my outward. How about my inward? God says He wants to renew inwardly day after day. So I just want to encourage some of you, if you've made large investments on your inward, if you've made large investments on your spirit and on your soul, and on your walk with God, then you have made the right choice. 
And maybe you made that choice early on, but somehow you've been negotiating and you've been spending way too much time on yourself. Way too much time on what can I buy next? Where are we going to go next? What can I do next? How, how much fun can I have? What, what's in it for me? And you give God a nickel of time once a Sunday, but the rest of the week's like, it's all mine to do my thing. God's like going, don't live such a low life. Live a high life. Don't choose that which is not going to really benefit you in the long run. And so he's summoning. He's calling us back. That's what, this, that's what he's doing. That's what, he, that's what I'm trying to do to myself when I read this. It's like, Lord, help me line up better. Forgive me for all my wasted days and wasted time. And then he comes at the end and he says, you know, when it all is said and done, all your suffering is going to be nothing when you get there. This light momentary affliction. You may say it doesn't feel light and it doesn't feel momentary. It does feel like affliction. It feels horrible, Lord. Lord, lift this off me soon, like right now. Lord, I don't like burdens. I don't like, have you forsaken me? Have you, where are you? What is going on? I thought, I heard a preacher once say I'm supposed to have a blessed life. My best life now. I don't, there's no, the best is Jesus, but the life he's called you to live is hard. And so, but, but he's saying, but when you get there, whatever you have to go through in this life, if you hold on to your Savior, when you get there, you're going to go, Lord, it felt so heavy then. But now that I'm here with you, it was a light, momentary affliction. It's not that big a deal now that I'm with you. When I was in it, Lord, I have to confess, it was the worst thing I had ever faced up until that point. And it was so hard, it just seemed unbearable. But now that I've, I see, now that I'm here with you in glory, I realize, Lord, I'm so glad I, I, I chose you. And that's what Paul is saying when he comes to the end. And then he says there's a whole realm of things that are not seen. We live in a world that's seen, but there's also a world of unseen things. And he's, he's praying that God would begin to open our eyes to the unseen realm, the spiritual realm. And so God wants to know in your life, God wants to know in this world, He wants you to help, help you to see things that the natural eye can't see. He wants you to see more than meets the eye. He wants you to see that there are important things and they're in the spiritual realm. There is a spiritual realm. There are angels. There are demons. There are powers. There are principalities. There are good things. There are evil things. And there are things that are operating at a level that the natural eye can't see. And God's wanting to open our eyes and lift off. I'm going to put it this way. Once you see it, and once you look for it, and when you stay attuned to God, it's a whole different ballgame. A whole different world that you begin to see and you become aware of. And that's the world that Paul was living in. He saw spiritual realities. And you may not. And therefore, what God is doing right now is He's saying, I want you to come in and I want to show you things that are only visible through my eyes. Through spiritual eyes. I want to give you spiritual eyes. I want to show you. And the first thing that he wants to show you when he gives you spiritual eyes is Jesus. So some of you might be here and you go, I don't see any of this stuff. I don't understand what this guy's been talking about all morning. Then my only prayer, my, my request to you is be pray this. Lord, 
If these things are real, if you're real, open my eyes. Help me to see. If he's not real, then there's no one there to answer, so nothing, no harm can be done. No, it's like meaningless. But if it's true, and the Bible says that if you will seek God, then you can find him. And so the beginning point for some of you is begin seeking God this morning, today. And then the thing that I would mention to you, for you who are Christians, just say, Lord, are there things in my life right now that are causing me to treasure this world too much? Do I need a fresh alignment? And are there some things that you just need to clean out of my life? And I'm just investing way too highly in these things, and that's why my walk with God has hit a flat spot. Or I'm just not as joyful as I used to be. Maybe I'm putting my treasure in the wrong place. Help me to put Christ back at the center so that I can treasure Him above all things. Let's pray. Father, thank you so 